Howdy, y'all. This is Inner Moonlight. I am your host, Logan Cure. I am so excited that y'all are here tonight. Nice. That's good. I am loving the enthusiasm. Welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, this beautiful night for poetry. It's a little bit cold. Thank y'all for coming out. I am super stoked for the night. So I'm going to explain to you what's about to happen. It's going to be magic. We are going to start with our feature poet. Um, we're going to hear from the wonderful Alan Gann. And then there will be a brief intermission. During that intermission, I will gather names for our open mic. It is one poem per person, so um, it's a quick open mic. Bring your best. Um, I might lightly pressure you to be on the list, but it's a very friendly audience, so um, you're in good hands. So, like I said, we're going to hear from the fabulous Alan Gann tonight. Alan Gann facilitates after-school programming and writing workshops for underserved youth at Texans Can Academies. Multiple Pushcart and Best of the Net nominee, Alan is the author of two volumes of poetry, That's Entertainment and Adventures of the Clumsy Juggler. He also wrote diverse works, Big Thoughts Performance Poetry Curriculum. His forthcoming chapbook from Assure Press, Better Ways to See, combines two of his passions with ekphrastic and birdwatching poems. <laughs> his non-existent spare time is spent enjoying the outdoors and trying to photograph some of the cool things he sees there. Please welcome Alan Gann. Do I speak into this? Hey. Howdy, howdy. Thank you so much for being here, Alan. I've been psyched about this all day. I have I had one, it's like I've had one too many cups of coffee. <laughs> That's the energy level we need. So, as you know, I start every show with asking my guests to tell me something good. So, Alan, what's good? Well, live face-to-face -face poetry critique has been the core of my process for so long. And the Garrett has finally starting up a stone soup that I will be facilitating next Wednesday, actually. And I'm so excited to get back to face-to-face -face poetry critique. It's, it's been integral for 20-some years to my process with the Dallas Poets community. Christopher Soden and Bob McCraney and Ann Howells, these are the people that taught me how to write. And so I am so psyched about that coming up. Heck yeah. Okay, so tell us one more time what it is and when it is. Okay, so Stone Soup is a peer-to-peer -peer poetry critique group sponsored by the Writers Garrett. It will be next Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the Writers Garrett. Um, bring 10 copies of a poem you would like to have critiqued and it'll happen, trust me. Heck it's yeah. happened a lot of times and it's good. Heck yes, it is very good. Um, and as y'all know, the Writers Garrett is also the sponsor of Inner Moonlight. Um, so lots of magic coming out of the Writers Garrett. Um, yes, yes, let's hear it. Um, so I always have to share a good thing myself, and my good thing is that next week is spring break. Yes. Woo! Yes, I'm leaving directly from the um, the poetry workshop and heading down to the coast to go bird watching. <laughs> Without further ado, we please read us some poems. All right. Yes. Uh, so the the first couple of poems I'm going to do are all from my forthcoming chapbook, which is from Assure Press, which is Darius right down here. We are right now in that back and forth proofing phase, so we'll, it's going good. And I'm going to start with the, the opening poem from the chapbook, which is neither a birding poem nor an ekphrastic poem. It is the poem, though, that 
I've been trying to write this poem for about 10 years. It's about the fact that my, my parents felt that their lives were limited. Their view of the world was limited because they were raised during the Great Depression. And they wanted my sister and I to have a different view of the world. So they did all kinds of wonderful things. They took us to national parks. They made us, they made sure we had the 64 box of Crayola crayons. Um, all kinds of cool things like that. And, you know, they took me and my sister to see Thelonious Monk and all kinds of amazing, amazing things. And so this poem is for them and it's called Why Apples Fall. Newton calculated the force of an apple's attraction to the earth, but how hard and fast is shallow understanding? My mom believes that most behaviors are learned through imitation, so the apple will fall tomorrow because of all the apples it saw fall today, who fall because of what they saw, who fall because of what they saw, who fall all the way back to our first fall and back again to the first angel falling away. But my father, he thinks that falling is the inevitable result of rising, striving to achieve escape velocity, ad astra and beyond the thermodynamics of capitalism. My sister, she's a gardener, lives in a world filled with green songs, suggests that the apples fall because the grass sings so sweetly, come, come, whomever you are. But I, I grok that seeds need dirt. And when they learn to take root in the empty air of existence, apples will fly. One day, apples will fly. So last April, Dan and Lynn and I and a bunch of other really, really cool people, we went on a 10-day rafting trip down the Grand Canyon. This is one of those life-changing things. If you can find it in your budget and your time, you should go do this. And we were on the way to the Grand Canyon when I saw my lifer, California condor. And condors are tagged. And if you can see the tag number, you can look them up on the internet and you can find out where they were born, when they were born, who their parents were, who their children are. It's really cool. And so this poem is about that. It's called Condor Y1. Tagged but never tamed, glimpsed as you soared above, born in a tiny cave high in the vermilion cliffs. You step off into the empty air, spread widest wings wide, catch the rising currents and then the glide, trusting canyon and river to provide, while I with my North Face Columbia tribe can only gape and try to capture as if these jealous photographs could make your majesty mine. If only I could make 
your majesty, mine. The second, the second half of the chapbook is all ekphrastic poems. Ekphrastic poems are poems based that use other pieces of art as their springboard. And the art in this are sculptures that I saw at the Storm, Storm King Art Center with my mom. Storm King is a beautiful, beautiful sculpture center up in the Hudson River Valley in New York. And there's so many amazing pieces there. There's Calders and David Smiths and De Severos. And Louise Nevelson is someone who I've never been a big fan of. But she has this amazing piece there that's all these pieces of rusting steel that are going this way and that way and curved. There's railroad spikes. It's, you can look it up. It's an amazing, amazing piece. And the title of the piece is City on the High Mountain. More than shiny girders and baking bread, busy crosswalks filled with disappointed lovers, green parks surrounding abstract steel, Greatness requires rivers of possibility, joyful to flood, quick to recede. Sizzling in hot oil, onions, mushrooms, garlic, saffron, ginger, chilies. City on the high mountain is a curry. Cauliflower and potatoes swimming in coconut milk. The frazzled-haired woman over there sipping her latte could be Nefertiti. The twisting cobblestones lead pilgrims down narrow alleyways to frescoed cathedrals, clamorous markets, houses on top of houses on top of houses, dusky taverns laden with incense and hypnotic music. Rasputin on Balalaika. Rust and patina, important as seeding out and dormancy, as songs sung to death whose other name is beauty. Railroad spikes have been driven. As songs sung to anger, god of storms and many nights, anger whose other name is shame, wandering alone, hood to hood, anger, whose other name is steel, knocking unexpected at your door, nervous and needy, so you cradle as a crying child. Lacy grates cover thirsty drains. City on the high mountain, whose other names elude our tongue. City on the high mountain, why we climb and climb and having reached the peak. City on the high mountain, why we climb higher still. Beautiful, beautiful, thank you. Thank you.
So your book, Better Ways to See, as you said, is coming out from Assure Press. Yes. Um, so when is that coming out? Well, we're like I said, we're in that proofing process. I just got back a proof today, and I only looked at it for just a few seconds. Before. The reason I was late getting here was because I was looking at my proof. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks very, very good, but I haven't gone over it in detail. Right. So my guess is before the end of May, it will be out. That would be my guess. Okay. Awesome. So better ways to see out from Assure Press, which is a local press. Um, so tell us about what the, what this book is doing, how you managed to get bird watching in a crisis in the same well, book. Well, okay. <laughs> bird watching poems are kind of about my connection to my father. Um, there's two, in addition to the main poems, there are these two longer pieces that are high bonds. And one is about uh, the first time my dad and I went out and found a bald eagle the first bald eagle to return to a lake in North Carolina since they banned DDT. And it, so the first one of them is about that. And then the other one is about a trip my mom and I took to Storm King. And so the bird poems are about that. And all these poems kind of have these tiny insights. They're not profound, but they're tiny insights. And the real point is not the insights themselves, but the fact that I was able to have these insights, that's the fact, this poem is really a celebration of my parents and the fact that I'm able to have these insights. Okay, yeah, love it, that makes sense. So for those of us who are not familiar, what's a high bun? Ah, a high, boy. <laughs> a high bun is a Japanese form where it intersperses haiku, which is the classic thing that everybody knows, a 17 syllable thing that everybody writes and you have no idea whether they're good or not. <laughs> and then there's prose pieces in between. Okay. And the general idea is that they tell about a journey. They're generally a journey point. Okay. And so that, those are the two anchoring pieces. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I am so excited for that book to come out. It's going to be gorgeous. Thank you. Well, I know it will, because I have seen the other books from him. Assure Press has printed some really beautiful, beautiful books. And I'm, I'm just assuming mine will be just that beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Please read us some more poems. Oh, sure. So these are more pandemically oriented poems. I've written so much stuff. And my poetry has kind of been wandering during the pandemic. You know... The pandemic has kind of been depressing. These last couple of years have been a little bit depressing. I, that, that was my insight. <laughs> but one of the things that, and I, so I spent a lot of time biking and walking around White Rock Lake. And one of the things that has given me hope is all these young girls and women on skateboards. And you know, you look at these young girls and you know that 20 years ago their mothers were these radical third-wave feminists listening to Bratmobile and Bikini Kill and Patti Smith and and they think they're raising the next the next wave and so this is called Riot Girls 2020 painted pink with well-oiled wheels but not Barbie pink wild magenta with a purple lightning bolt to match her hair. She is eight, she is 12, she is 15 and fearless. She is 15 and fearless. 
named for the goddess of the hunt, like Artemis her board, chipped and scraped and loved. They both wear their scabs just as proudly. She does not glide. Hers is the urgent push, the zig swoosh zag. She owns the kick flip and the boneless jump. She greets each curb with a grin, stares with a laugh, and no is just one more obstacle to maneuver over or around. She is the next wave, power sliding through gravelly expectations across the parking lot into a boundless, unfettered future. Many, in the before times, before this pandemic, some friends and I saw this club was having an 80s night. And we thought, wow, this could be a lark. As a matter of fact, I bought this purple sports coat in the 80s to go see the B-52s. That's why I bought this sports coat. It used to fit. It actually fit when I bought it. And so we went to this 80s night, and we quickly realized we were the only people in the club that were alive in the 80s. Or certainly the only ones that were going to clubs anyway. And we were probably the first ones to leave. We had a great time, but out of that, this poem came called 80s Night. I miss walking like an Egyptian doing the safety dance, the cheesy synthesizers, the bubblegum lyrics. It was all about the beat. I miss my yellow and black checkerboard chucks, my shiny purple sports jacket, mismatched polka dot geek chic. I miss the mosh pit, the pogo, the head bob, the spastic spin. I miss sweet dreams are made of blisters in the sun, kids in America, tainted love. I miss poppers. Yes, I may be the only person in America that misses poppers. <laughs> I miss poppers and crazy women that I would never really meet, laughing, grabbing my ass, eyes more alive, all the sparkle with none of the glitter. I miss rock lobster on Mexican radio. I miss restroom philosophy scrawled on those foully odiferous stalls. Should I really question everything? Worst mistake, being afraid to make the worst mistake. And of course, God is love, but Satan does that thing with his tongue. <laughs> I miss rocking the Casbah with, hey Mickey, you're so fine, karma, karma, chameleon, living on Electric Avenue, I miss quarter draft and jello shots. I miss sarcastic waitresses serving Tex-Mex and omelets at three o'clock in the greasy morning. I miss discussing the latest flock of seagulls single as if it were some great literary tone. I miss 
sunglasses at night, a future so bright, and girls that just want to have fun. But mostly, I miss knees that could do the all-night concrete bounce and wake up in the morning feeling new as a wave, feeling fresh as a brand new wave. Oh, I'm changing my set list right now. From <laughs> this is the most recent poem I I've written. So I'm in love with it for at least the next 15 minutes. And I don't want to make anyone feel bad with this poem, but the whole thing in Ukraine has really gotten me depressed. I'm a long time peacenik. I really am. I come, you know, my mom was taking me and my sister to marches before I could pronounce the word Vietnam. I was stuffing envelopes for Barbara Jordan. I have protested at the School of America. I am a peacenik. And how does a peacenik effectively respond to something like what's going on in the Ukraine? And so this is called impotent. Impotent like the politician who, instead of offending mighty money men, offer thoughts and prayers to victims of the latest shooting, hurricane, blizzard. Sadness, grief, anger, these are privileges afforded a sated belly with an ocean in between. And by the way, how many sunflower photos does it take to stop a rolling tank? It's not that I don't support freedom for our distant neighbors, but how should a disciple of nonviolent prophets feel towards the patriot whose choices are defined? Submit or kill or die. Firing stinger or javelin flash of fire, pressure wave, bodies that will never inhale again. Impotent as sitting in my office, 6,000 miles from Kiev, uploading a blue and yellow profile pic. Impotent as a blue and yellow profile pic. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so tell us what is next for your work. You know, I really wish I knew that. <laughs> but well, no, because my my writing during the pandemic has had no focus. It'll be a poem about this, a poem about that, and really, what I'm hoping my my hope is that with these face-to-face -face critique groups, I will find out what my next thing is. That's that's part of the point of it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. I know I'm going to get my book out. I'm going to go and, you know, go out there and hope 12 people buy it. Maybe okay. 13, 14, you yeah. know. I'm, I'm an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my parents aren't alive to buy 10 copies each, so. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but, you know, and I've got a reading coming up at the Scissor Tail Writing Festival up in 
up in Oklahoma and I've got a few things coming up but I really don't know where my writing is going I'm I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to see that myself yeah well me too <laughs> <laughs> it's always somewhere surprising mm-hmm. <laughs> well you we close this out with one more poem oh certainly yes um by the way everyone give a big round of applause to Logan she has created in her moonlight I've been coming to Inner Moonlight for several years now, and she has created the most incredible reading series. Every night is interesting. I'm always intimidated when she asks you to bring up one poem, and so you got to bring your best. And but I really do. I find that she's done a great job with this. So what am I going to end with? I'm a math guy. I used to be an engineer. Yeah, when I went to school, writing and reading were senior level electives and I did not have time to take them. And so, this poem is called Equations. It's a poem that would be, it would be about, it would be about being a poet, except that it's not. I am my words and I am not my words. And today, all words are my words. I am the clapper and the bell, the chime sustain and distant echo. I am both greater than and less than my words. And today, I have no choice. I must love them all. Equation is a beautiful word, setting one thing equal to another clapper and bell, chime, sustain, echo, all beautiful, beautiful words. Greater than and less than are not so beautiful, like anger and joy, Krishna, coyote, and ennui, imaginary, barely even words, and today I must love them all. Brown rice with sweet and sour tofu is a delicious word, a real word, a beautiful word. Sometimes my friends are delicious words, often raw, sometimes the dancer, sometimes the fall. And I, I am neither greater than nor less than the fall, than Krishna and Coyote, than anger and ennui. Perhaps I too am imaginary, Barely even a word, wondering who could love me at all. Silly dragonfly, perched on that brown reed waiting to be claimed. You are a beautiful word. You are my word. And today I must love you all. I close my eyes and see my parents walking down the beach holding hands. Holding hands is a beautiful word. Sand and seagulls and waves, all beautiful words. My parents, they were very, very beautiful words. I am my parents, and I am not my parents. I have no choice. I am both greater than and less than my parents, and I will love them always. Once I Googled, am my words and am not my words. Google, now there's a beautiful word. And discovered that many poets claim that same absurdity. 
Sometimes my friends are absurd. But brown rice never is. You may have more brown rice than my parents did, or less. But your brown rice is neither greater than nor less than theirs. Just like this microphone is neither greater than nor less than my words. Just like your seat is neither greater than nor less than the light over your head. Just like Logan and Darius are beautiful, beautiful words. Just like the sky is neither greater than nor less than the moon that we cannot see. Just like I am neither greater than nor less than a single grain of brown rice than Krishna or Coyote. Just like each and every one of us is neither greater than nor less than love. Thank you. Yeah, I can exhale now. I haven't <laughs> exhaled for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> breathe out, breathe out. Um, thank you, thank you. So one more time for Alan Gann. All right, Wild Detectives, we are going to take a brief intermission. So during that time, I will form the open mic list. It's a pretty short list. It is one poem per person. So if you want to be on that list, come find me. Intermission will be short, just about enough time for you to smoke a cigarette or get a drink. And for our podcast listeners, thanks so much to the writers, Garrett, and to the Wild Detectives. I will see you next month. <laughs>